0: Monday everybody and welcome back to the Couchside Judges. I'm Scott Fontana. You can follow me on Twitter at Scott
1: underscore Fontana. And I'm Dan Urban. You can follow me at TheDanUrban. You can follow the podcast at Couchside Judges and you can subscribe wherever you listen. And if you like what you're hearing from the show, give us that five-star review. As always, we talk MMA judging. You should learn the criteria. You can read it at abcboxing.com. You can and you should.
0: So Dan, today is a very special edition of the Couchside Judges, because for the first time ever, we have a guest with us to break down the contested rounds. I'm excited. We have with us none other than E. Spencer Kite, author of the Keyboard Kimura Newsletter and writer for
2: UFC.com.
0: Spencer, it is awesome to have you on. You are one of my favorite people to interact (laughs) with.
2: I appreciate it, boys. I don't know if you should be excited, but, you know, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> no, I feel I, like why it not? Kind of, I feel like I kind of invited myself on last night. You
0: literally talk, did. Talk, but, but then but then I was like, things, you know what?
2: This is a good like, idea. That, that feels a little rude.
0: No, no. <laughs> honestly, I'm glad you did. Because I was like, yeah, you know, maybe I was like, well, shoot, let's run it by Dan and see what he thinks. I and Dan's yes. like, let's go.
2: Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks Absolutely. for having me back.
0: Yeah, and uh, and why don't you shout out your uh, your Twitter handle while you're at it? Because we we just did ours. So
2: it uh, it is at Spencer Kite S P E N C E R K Y T E. And where can we find the uh, the newsletter? Uh? The newsletter is SpencerKite.substack.com. It's been a, a fun little addition to the the weekly routine of of writing and turning out MMA content. The place where I do a lot of feature stuff for ufc.com and another place that I write. And so it's a nice spot to do some of the more opinion stuff and event preview stuff just really is focused on the stuff that, that I'm looking forward to or my takeaways from an event, which is, is different than what I write elsewhere. So it's a nice little compliment. It gives you the the full Spencer if you will
0: there you go I, I love the full Spencer I, again he, you
2: are you are definitely <laughs> Not one of many the... people do oh stop Oh,
0: stop you're you're a very likable character on on the Twitter sphere I think I think no one would have a bad thing to say about you except for the trolls because they always do <laughs> <laughs> well hey listen why don't we dive into this because we had obviously an extremely eventful Saturday evening in uh, at the UFC Apex in Las Vegas right Dan Yep. So that, of course, was headlined by TJ Dillashaw getting the split decision win over Corey Sanhagen. 48-47s all around, two of them for Dillashaw, one for Sanhagen. And you know what? Before we even get into scoring, guys, what a fight. Can we just talk about how awesome this fight was? Spencer,
2: Spencer, what do you got? I mean, I just started writing my, I'm going to do a rewatch tomorrow morning of of these contested rounds that we're going to talk about. And probably throw some talk in there about round one because close round to me. Yes. Um, but, but started and, and that was my lead was like, look, close fight. You know, we'll, we'll talk about the scoring and that's what, that's what this piece is going to be. But we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that this was a terrific fight. Maybe the clubhouse leader for fight of the year. Um, I think it is for me. I haven't really looked back at all of the fights from, from earlier this year that, that are in the running, but just, I mean, better than I think most people even expected. And expectations were high. So to have it play out the way it did, and and to get a really close fight, a thoroughly entertaining fight, I mean, can never complain about that on a Saturday night.
0: Now, am I remembering this right? Either you can correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't this fight not get fight of the night? (laughs)
2: It didn't. It's true. Uh, I think uh, Adrian Yanez and, and Randy Costa got it for their Dr. Pepper versus Reese's Pieces or Reese's Peanut Butter Cups battle. Which, I mean, hey, it was a great fight for the eight minutes that it lasted. Like, it was eight minutes of just slinging hammers, but... I love those types. Yeah, and it's nice to see those fights get the recognition sometimes, right? Because I know for me, I come away from a lot of events thinking, oh, look, all the bonuses went to the main card fighters. And Mm -hmm. so it's nice to see, and I know they were on the main card, but it, it was originally a prelim, and and two younger guys that you know that that money and that recognition goes a long way.
0: Of course, of course. What about you, Dan? Actually, I like that Spencer brought this up. What what do you think your clubhouse leader is for uh, fight of the year? Fight so of far? the year? Is it this one, or do you have something else in mind?
1: I I gotta look. I can't even remember what other fights we've had.
0: I feel like this hasn't been as strong a year for that as it was. Like last year was just it was lightning every event, right? And correct oh, me if I'm uh, wrong. Yeah,
1: was, th- there was just great fights from Gaethje, Ferguson. Like every week, it seemed like there was a new leader.
0: And, and of course, it was like there were two fight of the year contenders even before the pandemic started, and then we had a bunch after the pandemic. It's almost like there was like two different years of it, but it was still an awesome year. I can't think of anything uh, that I would put ahead of this one either, even though again, not fight of the night. But still maybe fight of the year, right? Uh, But we do have to kind of evaluate Dillshaw here because this was a performance that, I mean, say what you like, whether you thought he won or lose. I think you had to come away at least impressed with the way he looked coming off of a two and a half year layoff. And he hadn't really fought; he'd only logged like four and a half minutes of fight time the last like four years, too. So really, this was a lot of extra cage time for him. Do you think, either of you, let's, let's start with Spencer, our guest. Do you think that uh, this silenced some of the doubters, some of the hate that people get uh, or throw
2: Dillashaw's way for EPO and that whole narrative? It should. I think it's, it's a th- like, I mean, I think I said it a couple times during the night on Saturday. And and look, I talked to TJ before this fight. I've talked to TJ throughout his career. I wrote his Ultimate Fighter blog on Heavy MMA that's how old I am, and how far how far back we go together. We had a laugh about that when we were talking. Right on. And so I'm always going to be probably a little defensive of him, and and because I think he has been getting kind of a a raw deal with this. Is like he owned up to it, right? He got caught, and he said, "Yep, I did it. Give me my suspension. I'm going to take it." And everybody says, "Oh, well, he only owned up to it when he got caught." I don't I don't know many people that don't get <laughs> caught to come out and go, "Hey, by the way, I just want you to know." I cheated and I'd like to take two years off. And there, <laughs> it's true. And there was no like, you know, trying to throw anybody else under the bus or let me see if I could roll on on somebody to get a reduced suspension or anything like that. He just said, fine, give me my two years and I'll still come back and prove I'm the best band of weight in the world. And he proved on Saturday to what you're saying that if he's not the best, he's still top five. And to do that at 35 against a kid like Corey Sanhagen who has looked so good. After two years off, and as you said, I think 34 seconds or 32 seconds against Henry Cejudo in January 2019, you don't have to like him. You don't have to root for him, but you like he is the epitome of begrudging respect to me right now. You have to acknowledge the skill and the talent.
0: You're making me think of Anchorman with uh, Wes Mantooth saying, uh, you know, (laughs) I I pure straight hate you, but gosh darn it, do I respect you. (laughs) Right. And yes, I'm censoring myself. This is what we do for Apple. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I, I, for one, I'm not, I'm not a TJ Dillashaw fan, but that started after the whole Uriah Faber and him leaving for Dwayne Ludwig, whole ordeal, whatever happened there. And then the EPO came up and I said, oh yeah, I'm not really this guy's biggest uh, supporter here. But I think he probably did silence at least that portion of the narrative that he can perform without it and perform well. So yeah, respect to him.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I have to think that, you know, as as someone in media as well, because I was asking him questions last week, too. And and, uh, you know, I'm more or less asked him this question is, do you think, you know, do you think you can ever get past like the people asking about this? He's like, well, I don't know. I mean, you're asking me. And I was like, I know, I know. But I'm curious. Do you think you can get people like me to stop asking that question? And he does believe he can. And, you know, I'm in I'm inclined to agree. You know, I don't think I'm necessarily next time T.J. Dillashaw goes out there if he's fighting in a in a title fight. I don't think I'm going to ask him about IPO anymore. Like what, what is there to ask? Like it's like Spencer said, he owned up to it. He kind of talked about it enough. Like what, what else is there to see? You know, if he, if he keeps passing tests, you kind of just have to take him as, okay, I guess he's clean, you know? And, and if he fails another test, well then, you know, we'll deal with that. Right.
2: Yeah. It's always going to be first or second paragraph mentioned whenever you're writing about TJ Dillashaw, right? Like you set up the fight and then you say, and, Dillashaw 35, former two time champion who was suspended. But that's just forever going to be the thing. And that's understandable and it makes sense. And the thing I like about it from, from my conversation with him and, and various conversations, various interviews he's done is he repeatedly says, and that's like, that's on me. That's what I did. Like, Mm -hmm. that's my fault. I can't like, yep, I want to escape it. I want to like, I'd love to not have to carry this around but I did it to myself. And so to me, like for all the times we've heard, and yes, there have been tainted supplements, but for all the times we have heard, Oh, I had no idea how what, what happened there. Like I got this from so-and-so who got it from so-and-so and for Chael Sonnen, never acknowledging anything and building a career off, <laughs> never acknowledging anything ever of anything to have a guy come out and say, I did it. I screwed up. It's the thing that's always going to hang with me. And that's, that's my fault. That's my cross to bear. That's the real punishment of this to me is, is all you can ask of somebody in that position. And so I give him, I give him my respect. And, and whether you like him or not as a fighter, he showed on Saturday night that he is still a guy you have to be very worried about in this division.
0: Ah, Well said, well said. And, but as far as, you know, looking forward with him more immediately. Does he deserve the next uh, to be the next title challenger once uh, Aljamain Sterling and Peter Yan sort out their you know business in the rematch in the fall? I mean, I
2: think so, right? Like, provided health and provided timelines work out. Um, whether you agree or disagree with the decision, this is what we've got in the books, and so I think that guy goes forward. and And TJ got the win; he got his hand raised on Saturday night, and so it, it's the only fight that makes sense. But I do like what he said, of you know. If if timelines don't work and if that fight doesn't go off when it's kind of tentatively penciled in for at the end of end of October as a Spencer Kite birthday present on (laughs) October 30th, very much looking forward to two title fights on my birthday. There you go. Then I understand him saying, Okay, give me somebody else. Maybe he takes that Rob Font fight that's that's kinda sitting out there for him as the not consolation prize, but as the Stay active, keep moving forward. Don't spend too much time on the sidelines. So, and I think very viable way, too. What's that?
0: And a very viable matchup.
2: Oh, a terrific fight. And I think either way, I mean, we're going to get more great fights in this division. Which, which to me, and I think a few people said it Saturday night as well, is is the best division in the UFC right now, from top to bottom.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think Dillashaw definitely has to go uh, get the title shot next. I didn't know that they, they actually scheduled or penciled it in.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's for was it Abu Dhabi, right? Isn't that what they're saying? It's going to be in Abu Dhabi, and and I believe they're saying it is not a pay per view, but it's a numbered event. Right? Yeah, it's a
2: numbered event. So that's what it's all the reports are. A, yeah, going to be a an ESPN show, I think, is what they're saying. Because from my understanding, the following weekend is going to be the return to New York City, if everything goes well, and
0: that's what I'm. And we're able too. to
2: do those kinds of things, which will be a pay per view and and an actual pay per view, and so we could have. Uh, Four or five title fights in a two week stretch and some, some big fights there at the end of October, early November, which really nice to get back into that familiarity of things.
0: Hey, I'm pulling for it too. Uh, you know, obviously that's right on our neck of the woods out here. You yeah, know, I'm, I'm, I'm jealous. Working for the New York <laughs> Post, I'm, I'm certainly going to be uh, letting my bosses know, hey, uh, we might want to send a reporter to that. So, uh, so we'll see what happens with that. Uh, Before we move on to contested rounds, one last question about this fight. Corey Sandhagen. what does this loss do to his stock? Because, yes, it it is a loss. He does not get his win bonus. So we know he's at least lost certain things here, whether you thought he wins the fight or not. But does it ding his stock?
2: For me, it doesn't. I look at a lot of these fights, and and I think there are a couple others on this card as well. The Brendan allen Punahele soriano fight where... You can lose a fight and still come away where your stock is either at the absolute worst remains the same. And maybe still in the, in the case of that other fight, the middleweight fight, your stock still goes up. And so to me, to lose a, a contested decision where I thought he looked pretty good for the most part, maybe not as good as we've seen him in some fights, but, but pretty good going 25 hard minutes with a two time champion. I don't see how you come away from it and go. I'm kind of out on Corey Sanhagen right now. Maybe maybe he's not as good as I thought he was. Let's let's give him a step back. He's he's very much right there. I don't think anything changes for him.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, and as you mentioned before, Dillashaw, you know, maybe he gets that stay busy fight with Rob Font. But if he is in line for the next title shot and he doesn't take that in-between fight, Sanhagen Font makes sense to me.
2: Oh, my God. I would love yeah. that fight. Just great boxing. And
0: realistically, just because we've seen the way UFC uh, books their title fights recently, if for some reason someone's not available when they want that belt defended, and Corey (laughs) Sanhagen is, don't be surprised if they're just like, "Hey, Corey, it was a close fight. How about you just get the title shot?" And he's like, "Okay."
1: I didn't see. Did Dana White have anything to say about the decision?
0: I haven't seen anything from Dana. I honestly, I think I went through an entire UFC event without even thinking of dana white and i don't know how
2: that happened yeah i don't remember anything from from last week which is which is really odd you're right i i don't necessarily as somebody that's not reporting on the sport so much as writing about the sport right i don't necessarily dive in on all the dana stuff and consume all the dana stuff when it does happen but i don't remember anything from the week either and didn't see anything coming out of last night so we may have had a a dana free week that it's kind of unusual,
0: especially just the way the UFC tends to market itself. But uh, you know, let's move on. We do have some highly contested rounds to deal with from Thursday, or excuse me, from Saturday night. Day is it anyway? <laughs> let's let's start with uh, the championship round, so to speak, because it was a non-title fight from Dillashaw Sanhagen. These were the ones that made the difference. Because to set it up, round one, everyone had Dillashaw. Although, you know, as as Spencer alluded to. Very close round in round one. Uh, realistically, I could see an argument either way, but I did have it for Dillashaw. Round two, all Hagen. I, I think this was the clearest round of any of them for anybody. Round three also went to Dillashaw. So all three judges have it 29-28 Dillashaw. And that seems to be a pretty accepted score, more or less, even if you disagree with maybe round one. Now, round four, though, this is where the judges start to diverge. And so we have two judges, Derek Cleary and Sal D'Amato. They had this one for Sanhagen, whereas Junichiro Kamijo had it for Dillashaw. Dillashaw was the the minority score here, ten nine. How did you see it, Dan? And actually, why don't you set up the round too?
1: Yeah, this was. I thought this round was was quite close, and I, I guess I can make an argument either way. I ended up. I ultimately went with Sanhagen ten nine. I thought he was landing the the good headshots uh, throughout, and I thought Dillashaw's best offense was leg kicks. They were good leg kicks. So, I mean, they were solid leg kicks, but I mean, I always, I, I mean, I thought the punches to the head were, were more impactful, especially immediately. The one problem with the round that I had was the announced team saying he keeps, uh, Dillashaw keeps getting a, a, a back clinch against the, the fence and they're saying, how are the judges going to see this? It's like, well, Dillashaw is just holding him against the fence. I hope they're just seeing it as and, him just holding him against <laughs> the fence.
0: And that is how judges are trained to more or less see that because control, so to speak, as, as it's often referred to there. It, you know it's technically that is a form of grappling is it very effective no because it's not really leading to any offense so i think that most sharp judges would see it that way
1: it, and then the round finishes san hagen uh lands a spinning back fist which yes. uh, seemed pretty strong so I, that's why i, I favored san hagen
0: i could see this one being kind of a you know a very close round either way i also for san hagen uh but i I think the reason why you can sort of make a case for Dillashaw is the fact that there is, especially early in the round, I just don't think as much was happening in general. Like, I mean, they were, it's not like they weren't active or anything like that, but I don't think Sanhagen was able to really get going the way he was, you know, more or as later. And Dillashaw is, you know, he's, he's got that clinch and he's, you know, not really going for stuff, but he's also kind of throwing in these little knees here and there and stuff like that. It's not high impactful, but. I wonder how much uh, from the early round, and I watch this again, I just wonder how much of, you know, from the early round we're actually scoring more heavily than, you know, say the judges are or something like that, because it has a lot to do with where you're sitting too. Maybe we're perceiving things different than the judges are.
2: Yeah, that's that's a part of it that I think we we sort of lose or we don't think about when we're all watching it at home and we're getting the camera cuts and we're getting the best angles at all times is... Is anybody that has sat around an octagon or, or a boxing ring can tell you there's a lot of really crappy positions where you have a fighter's back to you. So you can't see if their strikes or the strikes coming the other way are landing properly. And you hear the oohs and ahs and you think it lands, but we've all watched fights at home where you hear the crowd pop and it, it misses by six inches. And so to me, I'm, I'm in the same camp as you guys. I scored the round for. For Corey Sandhagen, the spinning backfist that knocked TJ off balance and landed flush to me at the end of the round is kind of not the decider, like it wasn't hanging in the balance by then, but it was the piece that put it over the top for me. Um, I think, as you guys alluded to, it's a little bit of not quite inactivity, but Corey Sandhagen is so selective and so precise with his with his weapons that. He can at times look like he's not doing a lot, but he hits at such a high rate and he does such good work that when those shots land, they have an impact. They pop TJ Dillashaw's head back, or they open up that cut a little bit more, or they stop him in his tracks a little bit more. Whereas TJ was coming forward a lot, throwing a lot of leg kicks. That was that was what he landed the most of in that frame in terms of significant strikes by a wide margin. And it just kind of feels to me in, in watching it back today to, to prep for this, watching it yesterday, Saturday night live as it was happening and, and seeing some of the conversation that a lot of people, and I don't know if this was in fact the case for the judges for, for Janicho Kurt, Camijo, it feels like that control. It feels like that tying him up and, and sort of neutralizing Corey Sandhagen's offense was a bit of a factor where it was a like, They were pretty close and everything was pretty even. And then TJ's controlling him and dictating the terms of things. And the three of us know that that doesn't matter. The three of us understand and the three of us all shake our heads every time the broadcast team says, yeah, but TJ's holding that center and really got to see, you know, that's (laughs) going to, that's going to play to the judges. And
1: and, especially this broadcast team. It just doesn't matter.
2: Yeah. Especially this broadcast team and it just doesn't matter, but. Unfortunately, I'm I'm still concerned that it it matters and it's carrying weight more than it should. Because to me, watching that round back and and watching the fight back as a whole, you can just see the difference in the impact of those blows. And Dan used the word to me that is is the key part, and and it's in the it's in the criteria. If anybody wants to go and read it, it's the immediacy. It's that it has a sudden damaging impact as opposed to the death by a thousand cuts kind of approach.
0: Exactly. And
2: so for me, that was, that was the reason the 10, nine for San Hagen was my score and, and felt like the right score to me on, on the two cards that saw it that way.
0: And, and ultimately it really is the majority score for that round, technically speaking. So, right. you know, that two out of three saw it that way. And, and two out of three people also saw round five for San Hagen. It just wasn't the same two people. And this is where we start getting into that murky area which I you know, have started labeling, as Dan knows and, and as some of our listeners know, I've started calling this an alternative decision. And that's where you have a fighter who won technically the majority of rounds if you just break down each round. So, you know, two out of three people saw Sanhagen. He wins the round, right? He did that in two rounds in this fight and then he had a third that was unanimous for him. So technically, he won three rounds, but he also lost two rounds unanimously and he just didn't get the right judges to see it the right way at the right time so he ends up losing a split decision so that's where we call that's what I like to call an alternative decision where it's just kind of like well it's almost like an alternative facts thing you know you can look at it from one perspective and technically speaking you can understand why people would say Sanhagen really deserved to win but not the case here the judges in this case round 5 Derek Cleary and Junichiro Camillo whereas Sal D'Amato Saw round five for Dillashaw. Uh, Dan, break this round down.
1: Yeah, so uh, um, basically round four I thought was was close but clear. But round five I thought was one of the closest outside of round one. I thought both guys landed well. I thought Sanhagen just built up a lead early in this round. And then TJ closed the gap later. I didn't think he closed it enough. And I thought Sanhagen just stung him just enough to maintain that lead throughout the round. And that's why I went 10-9 Sanhagen.
0: Yeah. And I did as well. I, I thought this was a hang round, but again, it's a very close round. And, and honestly, I think if you look at the numbers, it's, it's one of the highest output rounds as far as strikes landed. I believe I'd I have to double check the UFC stats there. But I'm pretty sure I saw yep. that earlier. Yeah. That sounds right. Spencer.
2: Yeah. It, it was the highest total for, for landed and thrown for both guys by a wide margin. Like they actually picked up the pace in the fourth and fifth rounds in terms of their output. Um, Corey Sandigan officially lands 38 of of 83 significant strikes. TJ Dillashaw lands 40 of 88, um, and that was that was by far the most output of each round for for each fighter.
0: We see this a lot in fights where there's like 38, 40 strikes landed. It, it, when when we talk about some really close rounds, uh, that that are often very contentious rounds with people, it's very frequent where one person landed like just two more, but it's such a high volume round. You're talking about asking people to evaluate a five minute frame of time in which 78, you know, (laughs) significant, whatever that means, strikes are landed. That is a lot of offense to have to remember. Now, these people are expected to remember it more than anybody else. And I give them all the credit in the world because they have put themselves out there. They've dedicated their, their free time to do this because it's not, a job it's 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 you know a gig economy they take the gigs on the weekend and they have full time jobs outside of this so um i always give credit where it's due there it's a really hard job to figure this out so when i look at this i do see san hagen winning this round but i think it's extremely close round and i think this is this round in particular is why it's very hard for me to get too mad about who won the fight because I just think it was so close and it's you can make an argument either way. That's that's how I feel. What about you, Spencer?
2: Yeah, I I agree on all fronts. I mean, I too had it ten nine for Corey Sanhagen, but everything you just said is is exactly correct. It's a razor razor close round. It's a very difficult position to be in to sit there and. And pay attention. I mean, look how, how many of us can sit for five minutes straight and just straightforward taking in downloading that information and not let anything else get in the way of it and then render the, the, the right decision. And remember everything that happened throughout those five minutes in order to render that decision. It's um, hard.
0: I, I mean, I'm ADHD, so everything is kind of hard with that. <laughs> so, uh, and that's true. I'm not even making that up, but yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's it's super difficult. And like you said, and, and I think you tweeted it out on Saturday night as well. Like, judging sucks. It's, it's the hardest, most, like, least rewarding job there is. Because we never, we very seldom, I mean, the three of us say, Great job, fairly regularly, because we really appreciate and understand some of this stuff. But very seldom does the general public go, hey, you know what? The judges did a great job tonight. There were no janky decisions. This was wonderful. <laughs> round happened. of applause to all of them. <laughs> but happened. we know by name who got it wrong and just go after them when they get it wrong. Mm-hmm. For me, watching this round back, and, and really it's, it's the story of the fight to me is this is another one of those bouts where it felt like more credence was given to the guy coming forward. Not necessarily in a control situation or like, oh, octagon control and and effective aggression, which is just dumb to even consider. (laughs) But in terms of not giving as much weight and value to a counter striker and to a guy that strikes extremely well moving backwards, and moving side to side that Corey Sanhagen does. He does more working laterally than lots of people do in a straight line. And I think it kind of works against him at times because he sucks you in and he lands in close. And it's usually when he's slipping off the side of something TJ's throw in. And so it can look like both guys are landing or both guys are landing flush, but he's rolling off something and hitting you with something of his own. And it just kind of gets a little bit too close to call. And, and again, as you said, Scott, that's from us sitting here and, and knowing what we're looking at and watching it a couple of times and, mm-hmm. and really deeply processing it. And so if you scored this for TJ Dillashaw, like I'm not up in arms. I'm not. This isn't a fight to me where it's get out the pitchforks and let's let's go crazy. This is a super close fight that I think I think it went the wrong way, but I totally understand it being scored the way it was.
0: Yeah, I think that's well said. And honestly, I, I think Corey Sanhagen's reaction probably says a lot, too, because he he's sitting there saying, look, it, it was a close fight. I think I won. But there are things that I can improve upon. And I think he's right. You know, I don't want to dwell too much on that because I do want to. Yeah. I think we've got a few rounds to move forward on. But I'll close by just saying the fact that, you know. During the fight, whenever he'd throw those spinning attacks, and and the commentary team was, they were on point with this, I have to give them credit for. When when there were spinning attacks coming out there, they were getting countered. They weren't really effective, except for that very last spinning uh, back fist that we talked about at the end of round four. Uh, It typically got course getting in trouble you know he would find himself with his back taken it's like well this was obviously something TJ was very willing to do and probably knew it was coming because they've known each other for years so it, it the risk reward i think was something that he started to figure out later on but it was a little too late but that's moving yeah on. and there oh, there so- were
2: a couple other fights like that too right there were a couple other moments in, in in other fights where we saw that and that seemed to be a story of the night just stick to the fundamentals do the thing that's working
0: Absolutely. I I think that's well said. But let's move on to the co-main event. We only have one round here, but this was a pivotal round because it was the difference between a winner and a a draw. So that was the majority decision that went the way of Rowley and Paiva. Paiva, I'm saying his name terribly, but uh, Kyler Phillips was the loser here. 29-28 twice for Paiva, Paiva, uh, and then a 28-28 draw that coming from Saldamato because he had round one as a 10 eight whereas Eric Cologne and Chris Lee they had Phillips 10 nine instead of the eight Dan what'd you see here
1: I saw a one-sided round as far as effectiveness goes but there was there was some points where Paivas is in control I, I mean that's kind like, of that is coming up a lot there's some effective this whole grappling
0: thing. though I, I, control is, is something I think mm. we often say. When we sort of mean grappling as opposed to controlling a person's body, you know what I mean.
1: I mean, he's—I mean—he gets on top a couple times, I guess, but mm-hmm. I mean, he gets dropped early. Yes. He gets hurt a second time where he's wobbly on his legs, and then late in the round, he's wobbled again, which he's wobbled pretty bad. Yeah. And then I thought—I thought the fight was over. He gets hit with a an elbow, I think it was, and I was like, oh, he's—he's he's knocked out. This fight's going to get stopped. Uh, it wasn't stopped. I thought he was out cold, but I guess he wasn't. I didn't think he was and, actually. I mean, he got hurt like four times. Like, oh, he was badly so hurt, sure. But I was yeah. like ten eight. I mean, this guy's diminished. So,
0: so which way did you end up? Did you did you have the eight or the nine? Oh, I went ten eight. Okay, yeah, I also went the ten eight here. Um, I don't, I don't want to defend the the nine too strongly, but I mean, <laughs> technically, it wasn't you know some sort of awful i mean we've seen some really really terrible 10 eights before uh go down but i mean the one thing i'll say here is just look it, it, we've been talking about this since march right dan where yeah. ever since dana white started <laughs> messing around with talking about how 10 eight should be given out and how often we should see them going all the way back to the israel adesanya against Jan Blahovich fight round five which okay probably didn't need to be two 10 in this round especially compared to a round like this but the overreaction that we've seen from the judging community has just been uh, a severe and i i think and i don't know if that comes from the commission level i don't know if that's the judges trying to you know figure things out or whatever because the judges they do talk every single week we know this they they they're always trying to calibrate and get themselves on the same page. But I mean, if you have Dana White, who, let's face it, <laughs> is the most powerful man in mixed martial arts, even though he's not involved at the commission level, if he wants something to happen, I mean, do does anyone think he can't influence it to make it head in the direction he wants? I mean, that would be naive to think so. So, you know, whether whether it's a case where Eric Cologne and Chris Lee are sitting there, you know, thinking I mean, I would have given this a 10-8 a few months back or, or not. I don't know, because Eric Colon is actually one of the more likely judges, statistically speaking, to go the 8 rather than the 9. So I think he's the more surprising score of just a 9 here. I don't I don't know. It's it, We've seen a lot of 8-9 funniness going on, and I, I have to think it's all linked to Dana White. But I had an 8 here. I did.
2: Yeah, I did as well. And it, it's it's because of what Dan said of, of he got hurt. So many times. And there were so many instances where you thought, all right, Kyler Phillips is going to finish here. I went into the fight thinking that, that Kyler Phillips was going to just look really great and, and have a showcase moment. And a lot of us did what watching it back for the first, probably three and a half minutes. I was like, man, why was that? Like, why was I so upset that this wasn't a ten 10-8? like Mm -hmm. I got dropped in the, in the first, I think 40 seconds, he gets kind of sat down with a with a jab and he gets put on his backside but he gets up pretty quick and he he recovers pretty well but then you get into that final kind of 90 seconds 60 seconds and it's all kyler phillips and it feels like he's going to get the finish and it feels like he's got howie and paiva hurt and it feels like the referee's looking over it and i remember writing after the round like this dude looks like he doesn't want to go back like he looked like he was over it. he didn't get up he didn't go to his stool he just kind of sat there. He barely looked like he wanted to take any water. And maybe that kind of furthered my feeling of 10-8, but watching it and and I think the part that stands out about it for me and, and look, it's an individual frame that gets scored and you can't look at the other rounds afterwards and say, well, if that's this, then this should be that. Mm-hmm. But you look at the, those other rounds and say, all of those, like to the, to the officials that, that scored it at 10-9, All of those rounds felt the same to you. Like when you look back at it, all of those rounds felt the same to you. There's nothing that makes you go, maybe that, okay, that first should be different than the second or the third where Kyler Phillips is never in real danger, but Howley and Paiva is clearly the, the better fighter or the more effective fighter. And I think that's part of it for me is just we've watched so many rounds over the years that you get a sense of, all right, this this just isn't what a 10-9 round looks like. like. This can't just be what a 10-9 round looks like because if this is close and we get a close 10-9 round, this can't be the decider where it's one-sided and nearly gets finished and you just scored it a 10-9. And so that to me is the, the unfortunate part about this.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you touched a lot of good points here. Is just the simple fact that we we do see a different round here. But by that same token, I mean we see a whole wide spectrum of ten nines too. I mean, it's it's nine out of ten rounds are a ten are a ten nine on you know all three judges' yep. cards one way or the other. You get ten percent of rounds more or less where at least somebody had an eight, and then you're only talking about about five percent of rounds where two or three judges have a 10-8. So it's a very small percentage of rounds that we actually get anything but a 10-9. So I get what you're saying. I, I don't disagree there, but I do think Unfortunately, the scoring as it's set up provides just a, a way too many uh, nines is, is the way they're kind of gearing it towards. I wish there was more. As, uh, as, as anyone who listens to our show regularly knows, we, we do the past judgment where we like to have that middle ground be an eight and then we can move up to a nine or excuse me, up to a seven, which would be a traditional ten eight. But uh, that is not where we're at. We don't use sevens there. That's that's just written in there as, you know, (laughs) it's basically just a joke. Uh, Occasionally you get one judge do it, but otherwise that's about it. Um, But yeah, so if we have uh, everybody's on the uh, the minority judge here being uh, the motto. Dan, what do we call that on this show?
1: Oh, that's a couchside override.
0: (laughs) That's our little thing. We we like to send uh, everyone. Spencer gets a couchside override uh, pendant (laughs) in the mail. Uh, we have never done that, but maybe one day we will.
2: <laughs> one day. That's, one a, that's day. a pretty good homemade klaxon. I, that was that was well done. <laughs> Thank you very
0: much. I appreciate it. I, I practiced. Uh, my, my family doesn't like me. <laughs> so let's move on, though, because we do have one more round. We got two more rounds, but we are one more round that had everybody. This is probably the one that made most people mad. I think we're finally getting the one that really spiked the anger and then got everybody all riled up for the, the remaining <sighs> fights, right? This is the, not the co-main, but it was the third to last fight. Macy Barber getting a split nod over Miranda Maverick. Just a straight up 29-28s all three ways, and uh, or all two ways, and then two of them for Barber, one for Maverick. It came down to round two because Maverick won round one, and in round three... We had Macy Barber getting the uh, you know, she, she kind of just comes alive in round three in these fights for whatever reason. It's like she just doesn't fight the same way until she gets to round three and can kind of get. Gas- I think she's pacing herself. But round two is the split here. I think a very surprising split, if nothing else. Um, And wh- well, Dan, why don't you set it up? What happened in this round?
1: I thought it was a close round for most most of it. Uh, I thought both were landing pretty good. Maverick had good leg kicks. She had some good knees in the clinch, a couple of good punches. But, you know. Barbara was landing maybe heavier shots at some point, but not all that many. In the clinch, maybe, right? Like, she lands that good left hook towards the end. Uh, But once Maverick gets the back, it's not like she just hung on there. She was she was throwing some ground and pound from that there. That last 30 and seconds, That's scoring, right? so I thought it was pretty clear for Maverick.
0: I had this one uh, for Maverick as well, and I should point out that the uh, the judges' scorecards for this one. It was two out of three. Had it for Barbara, as we know. She got the win. Uh, Sal D'Amato and Dave Hagan where the judges saw this one for Barber, whereas Chris Lee, who everyone likes to bag on, <laughs> and apparently he was their hero, but nobody wants to give him credit for this one.
1: I actually saw a backhanded compliment for him.
0: Yeah, I bet you did. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the yeah, only There, there co- were, those were the a
2: couple ones. Chris Lee got it right for once. Yeah, yeah but, of course. Yeah. They have to
0: throw in the, the for once there, but yeah, I mean, Chris Lee yeah. was was the one who had this for, for, for Maverick, just like Dan did. I also had this one for Maverick, but I, I'll tell you, I really did think that up until that last 30 seconds, I thought this was almost like a dead even round. I mean, not not a coin toss. I don't like the, the way of thinking of, of a coin toss when it comes to a round. I think you have to try and evaluate somebody as the winner if that's what we're doing. Uh, but I think if I had to lean anywhere, I would have leaned Maverick just ever so slightly. And then she does get to the back. She gets the body triangle. She's looking for submissions, but she doesn't really attack anything. So there's not really a submission attempt there. It's not the most effective use of the position, but it's a dominant position. And that's effective grappling in and of itself to get to that point and lock in the body triangle. So when it comes down to it, I, I think just like Dan said, I think this was a close but clear round for Maverick. What about you, uh, Mr. Spencer? What do you think?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat and and I sort of was taught when when going through and and doing the judging program of like look at it as as scales and I think we talked about it the the last time I was on the show of like which way is this leaning and how far does the other person have to come back in order to get it and it was pretty pretty evenly balanced for most of that round I had it ever so slightly for for Miranda Maverick going into that kind of final sequence and then as both of you guys said she gets that takedown she advances to a dominant position those are deciding factors for me in rounds. And it's not, it's so funny, right? Because we hear so often the broadcast teams and so many people just say, oh, that takedown really, really crucial here in the last 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah.
0: Especially again for this somebody, crew.
2: <laughs> yeah. Pull somebody's legs out and just kind of sit against them, sit against them on the fence and and we all roll our, you know. I said my tweet, that is not effective. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This one mattered because this is a, this is a quality takedown where she then advances. And those are the parts that we need to have broadcast teams reiterate. These are the parts that we need to get across to people that we need people listening to this show to hear more of is it's Amen. that effective yeah. grappling. It's the advancing to a dominant position where even if she's not getting off submission attempts or serious submission attempts or landing a great deal of punishment, it's the dominant position part that is important. That is the effective part. That is a deciding factor in a narrow round like this.
0: So obviously, you ended up on Maverick's side too. So yeah, this was I had, I had Maverick 10-9 as well. Yeah, and, yeah. And was,
2: was fairly surprised when it was when they announced the first like when when Bruce Bruce starts and he does the twenty nine twenty eight and he's not and he didn't say unanimously. I was like, oh my god, are you serious? L- let let <laughs> and me then, tell you and then macy barber won and i was like oh are you really serious
0: let me tell you something about that decision after the round ended and i put out my score and i tagged mma decisions like i do i walked away i went to check on my kids who were, <laughs> who were trying to settle down at bedtime because bedtime takes forever in our house and uh and help my wife out a little bit because i just took just a minute break uh during my shift at work in the basement and i come back down i'm like okay you know it was, Clear twenty nine twenty eight, and, and then all of a sudden, everyone's like, "Oh, Macy Barber." Da, 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 da. I'm like, "But Macy Barber won!" <laughs> I was stunned. Now, this was my initial reaction because I really did feel good about those first two rounds. But I'm very careful to on social media. I try not to go, "Okay, robbery. This is crazy." Da, 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 da. I try not to like go off, fly off the handle. I, my, what I initially try to do is like, say, "This is surprising. I'm gonna have to go back and watch this one because right, I." I take for granted that I am not trained. I mean, Spencer at least took the command course. Mm-hmm. I have not. Dan has not. So I don't even have that to lean on. I'm an amateur who has picked the brains of some of the best judges that we have in the sport. But on the whole, I'm still untrained and I have so much to learn. I would love to take a training course whenever, you know, the world normalizes and it makes it a little easier for me to get out and do one. And really, we haven't just haven't had too many of them. Although, a side note, the uh, ABC's uh, annual conference is going on right now, and my understanding is that the officials just had their training completed over the weekend. Boxing and, and uh, MMA referees and judges, they just completed a bunch of their, their retraining that they do often uh, when they go to these com- conferences. A little side note for everybody, but yeah, so I, I tried to kind of keep that in perspective. One thing I'll point out, I think this will probably close it off I, if, anyone does, if anyone has anything else to say, I can, but... Caposa who of course is a very respected voice in mixed martial arts social media uh you know the the fight guru when it comes to just about everything that's happening you know both in and outside the UFC you know all over the world even he said wouldn't be surprised to see a judge give that round <laughs> to Macy Barber so take that for what it's worth this is someone who knows the fight game he watched it and he said it wouldn't be surprised so is it a robbery. We don't like that word, so I'm gonna say absolutely not. But it there is at least there there are some very notable minds in this sport who kind of saw this as a potential uh, outcome. So I can't be too crazy about it.
1: One one thing no I want to say before uh, I forget, joy sure. uh, regarding social media is Dean Thomas and Jessica I point said these judges are are stealing money basically from these fighters because they're picking the people who didn't win, and so now they don't get their win bonus check. I don't like placing the blame on the judges for that. That that's not their responsibility to make sure a fighter gets paid. Right. That's on the management team and if you have a beef with how the pay structured, that's on the promotion. Like so that's where you should direct your anger in that sense.
2: So that that that's all.
0: I think it's well said. So is there anything yeah. to add before we move on?
2: The only thing I was gonna say is is while it very much you know, anytime you could shout out Kaposa and, and point to his logic and it is very sound literally everyone that's been to score to MMA decisions scored this fight 28, 29, 28 Miranda Maverick. And like, you don't see that kind there's usually one or two outliers. So when sure. there's not even an outlier, it feels like a pretty, pretty solid understanding. And like you, you kind of downplayed your, your abilities here of just being an amateur. You're an Olympic level amateur. Then, oh, Cause, well, thank cause you. you guys know what you're talking about. And so don't don't let Scott undersell his ability to judge <laughs> fights.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. But I, I, I still have a long way to go. I will I will hold on to that no matter what anybody says, but I thank you. But before we end it, all of us had random Raverick here. So what does that mean?
1: Oh, that's another couch side over. <laughs> all right.
0: and uh, this one I don't think we have to spend too much time on Uh, our final round our final contested round had no impact on the actual outcome of the fight although it was the first round Brendan Allen getting a unanimous nod over Punahele Soriano Puna got one judge to support him in round one whereas the other two saw it for Allen and and this was 230 27s and a 2928 so that's why we get the the discrepancy here Dave Hagan, Jr. Quircomijo they saw it for Allen Chris Lee saw this one for Soriano uh and this by the way was the round that DC called out Rob Tatum for later on in the broadcast because he had the gall to think it was nineteen nineteen after two rounds, even though he saw round two for Allen. So that meant he obviously saw round one for Soriano. DC's like, no, you're
1: crazy. I, I think DC even mentioned I think yeah, I think this one's probably gonna be twenty nine twenty eight. I think he said <laughs> at some point too. I'm not a hundred percent certain but I thought he said that. Sometimes DC just talks. <laughs> I don't I'm
0: not convinced he actually hears the things he says all the time. Uh and, and look he's entertaining and I and I have a ton of respect for him when it comes to x's and o's and that kind of thing but i mean even he said at one point during the main event he's like i don't even know what i'm looking at i don't know what i'm judging like he he kind of added himself there but let's break this down really quick we don't have to spend too much time dan what happened
1: yeah i i thought this was a round of immediate impact versus cumulative impact i thought alan was hammering the body I didn't think they were as immediately impactful as Soriano trying to take his head off with every single punch. And I thought the ones he were landing were more immediately impactful. That's why I scored it for him.
0: I did too. I I think you pretty much summed it up uh, about as well as anybody needs to for, for my money, but uh, hey, Spencer, you got anything to
2: add? No, myself as well. And in a round where the final significant strike numbers were dead, even at 28 landed each, you come down to that impact where every time Puna lands, Brendan Allen is taking a little step back or a little movement back or there's, there's a little something else there. And you can, I mean, you can just see it in the way they're throwing. I'm not upset that he didn't get, you know, the round on, on all three cards, but it's just one of those, as Dan said, the, the immediate versus the cumulative. And, and that's part of the criteria. That's another part of the things that, that we need to talk about more and explain and, and emphasize to people that immediacy carries more weight it just does because yep it's just is is this guy trying to finish the this man or woman trying to finish is it a blow that has that potential versus are they throwing 70 leg kicks fairly lightly that it's as i said earlier death by a thousand cuts so i had it for soriano it was a it was a close round but it just comes down to that The, the power with which he's landing
0: you know, I'm glad you cite the the statistics the way you do because you seem to, Spencer, be kind of using the statistics to uh, more or less explain what you already saw rather than leaning on the statistics to tell you what happened because that's not what we do in MMA. I think, you know, we know that. <laughs> there are not two different strikes in MMA, significant and insignificant. There are a billion degrees of significant or insignificant strike. I like to call them insignificant strike Spencer. Um right. because what what else do you call the ones that are not considered significant? Um right. <laughs> they don't have a term for it. Uh, but I think you're right. I mean in a round like this you can look at this round and say I mean, this certainly looked really close, but I do see a little bit more impact for Soriano. And then you look at the numbers and say, OK, it's even that confirms what I think I already saw. So uh, that's that's where I think statistics are really good. But uh, again, we all had it for Soriano here. I don't think anybody thinks it's crazy to go Allen here, but the the criteria would seem to indicate you want to go with the, the more impactful strikes. And those did seem to be Soriano, as Dan uh, illustrated to begin with. Uh, but. Again, we're all on the same side as Chris Lee. Once again, he's getting two. He's getting two. Couch that override <laughs> so for Chris Lee. Yeah, that's right. He's gonna fill up that <laughs> that uh that bingo card pretty soon. I mean, A- Allen's strategy
1: did work out though, because that Oops. I mean, he he must have known Soriano's gas tank is you know not the greatest. I'm going to attack the body early, and it it paid off. Sure, so- and that's the thing to
0: remember. You know, when we talk about these these fights, is just because the strategy they're using may not necessarily win the round. It doesn't mean. It's not going to pay dividends down the road. It's just <laughs> right. you can't you can't predict that. We can only evaluate the five minutes, and those five minutes end the moment the horn ends. They start the judges start putting their scores on paper the moment the round ends. They can't sit around and say, "Well, how did he get to the corner? Was he stumbling or not?" They're already writing it down. Doesn't matter. And that does it. I mean, that was we only had five rounds, but I, again, these were some, <laughs> we had some pretty epic rounds, didn't we, guys?
2: Solid. Yeah, really good rounds. Really, I mean, great night of fights, right? Even if you disagree, as we said sort of off the top, even if you disagree with the scoring of some of these fights and some of these rounds, it was a really fun night of fights. It was really enjoyable. And and it wasn't even a night of fights out here for me on the West Coast. Yes, that's right. Because we, we were done by 7.30, and, and if you follow my Twitter account, you know I love me some early evenings.
1: <laughs> I I, I... – I am jealous of the West coast during football season. like, I wish football was not getting oh,
2: over at midnight.
0: You wish you rolled out of bed and was watching yeah, football too. Much, I'm yeah. eating your cereal. So I
2: grew up, I grew up in the Eastern time zone. The <laughs> first, so before I got all the way to the West coast, I lived in the mountain time zone for a year. And even that was great where it's 11 o'clock. Like it's just perfect for a nice Sunday brunch. I was working at a, at a sports bar. So we would roll in a little early. We'd watch the pregame show. Have a staff, have a staff breakfast, mm. and then get everything going. And at eleven o'clock, people start pouring in, and you you got football at eleven o'clock. Now I'm even that further bit over ten o'clock. It's, it's pretty good. That second <laughs> game kicks off at one, and you're just like, yeah. man, like really, I I did. This is when it was starting all those years. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I don't know. Everybody asks, when are you coming back home? When are you moving back home? Just from a sports fan perspective, I don't know if I could do it. <laughs> <laughs> As tough as it is for you guys on the east coast covering some of these events UFC wise and that were the main events and I've done it a couple times I've been home for a few where main events are going off at times that are way past my bedtime it uh is is always the reminder to shout out Sean Sheehan and, and the crew over oh, in, yeah. in Europe yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: everyone over in England and, and in Ireland for Carol sure. and
2: everybody that are up at ungodly hours <laughs> watching fights it's insane
0: <laughs> i don't i don't know how like i i saw it was uh, Sheehan was up at like I don't know, several hours after it, he was still tweeting stuff. And he was making me laugh. And I'm like, Sean, go to bed.
2: (laughs) He and I taped a, we did an instant reaction show after 264. Okay. To talk about Connor and Dustin. And I did like, wait a minute. Like, because I've been over there and my wife has family over there. So we sort of, the, the time zone change is always something I'm aware of. And I was like, wait a minute. Like, it's. It's two thirty. Like it's three thirty in the morning. What are you doing? And it was like, "Oh, I still got another two hours. I'm gonna put that." Like all credit to him, man. They are, they are tougher than me. You guys are tougher than me. It's 1020 here and I'm like, man, it's late <laughs>
0: <laughs> right I, and but you know what you, you did allude to the fact that we had some some excellent fights going on and six of them were finishes like we didn't even talk about any finishes because none of the the well they either ended in the first round or the first round that ended up getting scored everybody had it the same way there was no drama in any of these rounds uh, whatsoever five tkos one submission spencer let's start with you what was your favorite finish of the card so
2: i i went with sajara eubanks and i will put the caveat in there of of look elise reed is i believe a natural atom weight who is fighting (laughs) up in in weight yeah at 35 or at 25 at at one well fighting up in weight at 115 at cffc right where she won the title and, and beat some, some quality competition. Um, fellow Canadian, Jasmine Jess, Jerison. See, C. Fitz nailed it yesterday. And I, I just botched it. Um, beat okay, Hillary baby. Rose, who fought on the contender series last year, like fought some good competition to win that belt up a division, but then went up a division again to get into the UFC to fight it at 25 and fought a Sajara Eubanks, who, you know, we know what she's capable of. In this division, as she mentioned in her post-fight, having beaten Lauren Murphy and having beaten Roxanne Montefiore, she missed weight for the Montefiore fight. The weight's always been the problem. Sure. She looked dominant on Saturday. And a Sajara Eubanks that can make weight without issue consistently is a problem in that division because I think a lot of people either don't know or don't remember. Long before Sarge transitioned into mixed martial arts, she's 36 now, 37 maybe and still fairly young in her MMA career, she was a elite world-class no-gi jiu competitor. Yes. believe she has a world title or two uh, from those days, training under Lloyd Irvin and, and things like that. So when she gets you on the ground, it's problems. And then to put in the strength and the power and, and the developing striking, it was an absolute bull rush of a performance and, and one that I just file away as Okay, that made me sit up and and take notice, regardless of the fact that I think Adam Martin tweeted out like this is basically a bantam weight against a straw weight, which it it kind of was, but it was still the type of performance that you have to acknowledge. Sure, uh, she looked great,
1: actually fantastic. One thing I noticed in this fight, maybe it's just because I'm sensitive to his voice, her one coach, Sean Santella, was an, <laughs> a former instructor of mine and mine and and Scott's he yeah uh, maybe i'm just sensitive to his voice but i heard his voice the entire time i'm like okay he didn't get his shot in the ufc which is a shame but maybe he can make a name for himself as a coach because i thought he was giving very good clear instruction to eubanks the whole time uh i don't know i didn't hear any other coaches but that could just be because i'm not you know listening
2: for their voice
0: we we know so. we know shorty rock's voice very well we heard it. yeah
2: him no either. shorty's a great coach i mean it it is a shame that sort of his his opportunity never came i think there was one point they were maybe looking at him and and well actually even got offered a fight and it just didn't come together
0: spencer they actually even on a broadcast said he was to fight wilson hayes they put this right they had a a Chiron that said wilson hayes will fight sean santella and then they had to scrap it because of i guess it was the medical some kind
2: of medical issue right yeah yeah but yeah shorty's a great coach that team has, has done a really great job with sarge i remember when she came out of out of tough and we were talking she said look get being in that house and working with the, that crew mark henry and company she's like i'm this is where i'm going this is who's going to coach me for the rest of my career and and watch out and now that we see she's she made 20 i mean i wrote about it thursday going into the fight if she can make 25 without issue regularly she's a factor yeah i, I think so
1: and we should we should
0: close by saying that Somebody from New Jersey was going to win this fight because everybody was training in New Jersey. <laughs> I, I was very proud to see, see that. I said that on social media. And then afterward, I said, told you, because I was right. <laughs> Jersey won. Jersey represent. Uh, Dan, what was your favorite? Uh, finish?
1: Speaking of more New Jersey, Mickey yes. Strangling Jordan Williams. But he looked good on the feet, too. He hurt him a couple times. But once he was on the ground, it, that was it. Mickey's uh, fantastic on the ground. And, and true story,
0: you were in a fantasy football league with Mickey Gall once. Yes, a
1: free fantasy football league with Mickey Gall. I don't remember the results, but uh, that, that happened at some He was probably, I don't know if he probably was like 18 at the time, maybe.
0: Yeah, he was just <laughs> a kid. <laughs> you know Mickey a while. I didn't ever personally know Mickey because I think he started kind of training uh, at, at AMA Fight Club just kind of around the time i got married and i wasn't able to go as much anymore mm-hmm. got the new job and everything uh but yeah so that that is uh he, i mean he did look he just looked like a house of fire didn't he, he
1: maybe it's maybe he's gonna break into the 15 maybe he's finally hitting that stride i don't know
0: wait what do you mean the top not 15? after this fight not after this fight oh i, mean, I was no, gonna no. say dude he's on, not his, close. <laughs> on his ascent
1: to the top 15 i, I think see, he might be I finally see. hitting that stride
0: okay okay i mean what did you think of his uh performance real quick spencer <laughs>
2: I was really impressed. I mean, I said going in, I I picked Jordan Williams, and it wasn't because I was overly impressed with Jordan Williams. It's because I've been underwhelmed by Mickey Gall. A lot of people uh, have has always seemed like a kid that looks like he's got potential, talks like he's got all the like talks like he's a world beater, talks like he's a world champion, just hasn't gotten his chance, and then comes out and loses to loses to the t- the best competition he's always faced and Diego Sanchez. And then went out last night and or Saturday night and, and looked terrific. Hands looked much improved. I don't know if that's you know a couple of camps with with the immortal Matt Brown teaching him to just be a little. He seemed a little more angry, and I think that's what Mickey Gall needs is a little more controlled anger. A in Little there mean streak. Yeah, get a little get a little, little angry about it, and and maybe Matt Brown is is the voice he needs, as Dan said. Put together a little run here and and get towards that top fifteen.
0: You know, I I have. I... I've I've interviewed Mickey before, um, going going back a few years when he was about to fight at the Garden uh, against Randy Brown, and I think the thing with Mickey is he got in here when he was so young in the game, right? Like he came in because. He won the fight that gave him the opportunity to fight against CM Punk. And it was more or less kind of scripted for him to get the fight to fight CM Punk. This is how it was set up. So he, you know, he picked up a couple wins that realistically are not even remotely impressive, even for a prospect. But I think he got I think he honestly he swam a lot better in the deeper end of the pool earlier than I think a lot of people would have. He stuck around and, you know say what you want about mike perry as a as a human being if you want to go down that road but like that fight against mike perry i mean he's a decent fighter mike perry and he yep. hung in there with him pretty well that diego sanchez fight you mentioned he was if i recall right he was winning that fight and then just basically gasped he, he hard, just completely yeah. Yeah, died
2: Dominated the first and then just was yeah, shot. Yeah, I mean,
0: these are rookie mistakes for somebody who I think, well, not yep. necessarily the, the Mike Perry fight, but the, in particular the Sanchez fight. It's a rookie mistake. He got in there a little too probably high for his britches. You know, I'm, I'm butchering the, uh, the idiom there. But I think... I think now we can really start to see what he can do. And I, I, there is a lot of untapped potential. He's got a big frame. As long as the weight isn't a problem for him, that 170, I think he does have a lot of potential, maybe top 15. I don't want to start going down that path. Let's, let's <laughs> let him work there. Uh, Dan, you can get excited. I'm the, I'm That's the fine. optimist. Of That's the fine. You are. You are. I'm the realist. <laughs> He's the optimist uh, for me though. My favorite finish. And I bet you a lot of you kind of wanted this one too, but I kind of stole it first. Darren Elkins doing Darren Elkins things coming back. Rallying, stopping Derek Minner, and just—I mean, this is this is a typical (coughs) Darren Elkins fight where he just—he's getting beaten down. He's just losing. He doesn't look right. It looks like you know the writing is on the wall. You know, maybe he won't even make it through. And all of a sudden, even in the beginning of round two, after losing round one very clearly, even in the beginning, he's not doing so great. And all of a sudden, you see Minner starts to tire and and he can't really you know he's trying to work for what is the guillotine right if i'm remembering right there was a kind yep. of a guillotine mm-hmm. he was trying to work for yep and he just can't quite get it he loses position he winds up on the bottom it's like uh-oh this is this is darren elkins time and he made it darren elkins time he was looking for you know arm triangles he, he was fishing for it and then he was just he got to the point where you know he's landing those strikes from up top and and uh and minors all sprawled out. And then you go for the, you know, the the pound pound, you know, like the gorilla punches one way and the other. Like once you get to that point, you're basically telling the judge, stop it. Uh, especially when it's not being defended. And and sure enough, uh, I believe it was Mark Smith was the ref on this one, had to step in. Uh, and and you got the Elkin the typical Darren Elkins celebration where he's got <laughs> blood all over his face, blood all over his eyes. It looks like he can't see. Like he's had his eyes poked out or something like that. His face is like in this grimace, like, I dude. It's like the Rocky face, right? He just looks like Rocky and then he pulls off another one. So he's the type of guy that no one really appreciates the right way when they fight because he is not a world class fighter in the sense that he's going to be fighting for a title. He never got that far. He just didn't. He got into the rankings here and there. But he never really crossed through that threshold, right? But he's the type of guy that, if you're a real fight fan, you love Darren Elkins.
1: Yeah, I was fantastic. That top cross, uh, that top uh, crucifix is just not fun to be underneath. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, it, w- it was funny. There was a point in the first where DC said, Oh, he- he's hurt. And just instinctively and internally, I and I ended up tweeting it out, went, Oh, so he's ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, that's just. Oh, like, that just means it's Darren Elkins. It's like Forrest Gryphon in times Elkins. Infinity. Yeah. yeah, and then Darren Elkins does what Darren Elkins does. Um, and you said he's not appreciated the way that he maybe should be or or recognized maybe the way he should be. I agree with you a 100%. Uh, several times over, I think I've probably written it, and I will probably have to do it again because mm-hmm. it's been a few years. But I write the Darren Elkins All-Stars. It is just like he is the team captain. He is the namesake of the piece. Because it's just those guys that hang around and grind out good careers. As you said, maybe they're in the rankings here and there. Maybe they're just outside of it. But they're tough outs. They're miserable guys. Like, if you get that offer, you take it because you don't want to turn down fights. But you're like, isn't there anybody else? Like, do you think Derek Minner on a two-fight winning streak was really excited to get the name Darren Elkins? Because you know what it takes to to beat him. Mm -hmm. And you know how hard it is. And if you're being realistic with yourself, you know you're good for about seven minutes and then Darren Elkins is going to do what (laughs) Darren Elkins does. And like that fight played out exactly as I expected it to If Minner got him out of there early, that was his best chance. But after about the seven minute mark, oh boy, you better hold on because he's coming.
0: You know, the funny thing, I, Darren Elkins, I feel like is a barometer for people. Like if you talk to somebody, <laughs> yes. uh, someone comes to you and they want to talk to you about fights. Let's say, you know, one of your friends <laughs> who like they watch sometimes they're excited yes. when Connor's fighting again, of course, or, you know, maybe they'll even watch like the, the, some of the other title fights here and there, you know, they'll go to a buddy's. You say, Hey, what do you think of Darren Elkins? Just, just use that as like a, what do you think? And they'll be like, who? And then just don't talk to them anymore. <laughs> Or if they say, oh, I love Darren because and they can tell you why, you know, right. and they're not just trying to, you know, fake through that mad props. That's a fight fan. That's <laughs> yeah. a fight fan. Um, yeah, I mean, that that pretty much I think that wraps up. Uh, we, we had a lot to say yeah. about this event, didn't we? Uh, that wraps up this event. But looking ahead real quick and I, and we definitely want to wrap this up pretty soon. Uh, we've got a big fight card next weekend or a big fight weekend, I should say, two events going against one another UFC and Bellator they don't go head-to-head very often and this one seems like it was more designed for Bellator to go head-to-head rather than UFC counter-programming as we often used to see right and that I think speaks to the strength of the especially the headlining fight but the card as a whole for Bellator 263 Patricio Pitbull going against AJ McKee featherweight title fight End of the road for this years long to it's way too delayed. Obviously, for you know things that happen in the world, you know we all know uh, what has been happening. Uh, Million dollar prize up for grabs. I mean, this is a monster fight. And, and Patricio Pitbull, <laughs> you talk about real fight fans. If you know Patricio Pitbull and you know why he's good, you got to understand that this is somebody who has been one of the top featherweights for more than a decade. It is wild. So I, I'm I'm pumped for this fight. More so than I am for the UFC headliner, which is Uriah Hall against Sean Strickland. And that's eh, it's a solid fight, but I'm way more pumped for for uh, Bellator. What you, about you guys? Let's start with you, Dan.
1: I think main event wise, I'm going to be watching Bellator live, and if if they're close together in time, that is. Oh yeah, I got to check uh, the times. But main event uh, for UFC is going to be on the back burner. I'll probably catch a replay, or if it's not running at the same time, I'll catch it live. But I'm more I'm more excited
2: for Bellator's main
1: event. What about you, Spencer?
2: Yeah, I mean the Bellator main event. Like let let's be clear, it's one of the best fights of the year, right? Yes. As you said, Patricio Pitbull has been an absolute stud for for a decade at at featherweight and and really the the signature fighter when you think of Bellator, or at mm-hmm. least for me, the guy that that comes to mind as this is this is Bellator's number one guy.
0: Yep. I but he's
2: getting in there with AJ McKee, and this is this is that moment, right? Every every fight for the last few fights for AJ McKee has been the like. All right, let's see what, what this kid can do. And he doesn't just pass the test. He aces these tests. And now he's getting in there with the standard bearer. Now he's getting in there with the guy that you beat this guy. Then we, then we got to start talking about you. I'm going to say, I wasn't going to say it. Then we got to start talking about you in John Jones terms of young, super talented, rise to the top, unbeaten, just steamrolling fools. Like who then beats this guy?
0: And he's been calling out think... Pitbull since he was a kid, basically. I mean, <laughs> I talked to him last week. Agent McKee said, like, I've been calling out Patricio Pitbull since I was still, you know, two fights into Bellator. And they've, they've had to be like, no, 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 you got to keep waiting.
2: Yeah, if if you know his dad at all, if you've ever dealt with Antonio, you understand fully why Junior's got a whole lot of confidence from the jump. Um, and he's backed it up every step. And so I'm in the same boat as, as you guys that this is the... This is the fight of the weekend. Don't sleep on the co-main event either. Mads Brunel has looked terrific as of late, and he gets sort of feels like it might even be a number one contender fight against Emmanuel Sanchez, who's sort of always been around that top position, fought for the title a couple of times. Really big fight. I do love this the Sean Strickland-Uriah Hall fight. I like both guys sure. a lot in that division. I think both have the, the potential to be contenders by the end of the year. Obviously, whoever wins is going to take that next step forward. But that Bellator fight is is one of the best fights of the year on paper, and, and we'll see how it plays out on Saturday. Real
0: quick prediction winner round method. Dan. AJ, M- Each, each, each headline. Okay.
1: AJ McKee is going to win this one decision. And Uriah Hall, if he attacks the shoulder, Orlando Sanchez already weakened it a little bit. Oma Plata, Uriah Hall. Spencer. Round two.
2: I'm going to go with AJ McKee as well. I'm going to say decision as well. I think it's a close fight. I don't, I don't think he can finish Pitbull who is just, you know, doesn't get finished. He doesn't lose very often. And I'm going Uriah Hall. I'm going TKO, something, something sharp and nasty that Sean Strickland walks into because Sean Strickland just loves to fight and loves to get ugly and dirty and messy. And Uriah Hall is not the dude to play those games with.
0: I am also going to say Uriah Hall, and I'm going to say second round TKO KO. It's, you know, it's semantic when we're no talking about which method. Huh? No, no. <laughs> you, you keep your own platas. You like to do them, that's fine. Uh, but you know what? I'm gonna go against the grain with you guys in the Beltor headline. I'm going to say Patricio Pitbull still has the magic. And I'm going to say he finishes it with a TKO. Round three. Oh, all right. But I think it's gonna be a great fight. And uh, believe me, I am not writing off AJ McKee, (laughs) but I I have tremendous respect for Pitbull and I'm just, I'm not, I'm not ready to jump off of that. And that is all we have for the fights. But real quick, Spencer, before we close down, this is a big week for uh, Canadian basketball and me being a Toronto Raptors fan, you also having an interest in this. What do you think they're going to do with the number four pick in the NBA draft?
2: oh it I mean for such a weird spot because it just depends who is still there and how those first three picks go sure I've been paying attention to this a lot I've heard a lot of talk um most recently I heard that Jalen Green may still be around at four I'd be very excited about that as a big wing scorer with with huge upside um and I think you and I talked earlier though like in in dms about it we, yes. were, we were chatting about it. If they come away with Jalen Suggs, I'm I'm absolutely happy as can be. Um, see a lot of Gonzaga basketball out here. A lot of a lot of friends that are Big Zags supporters. Obviously, the Spokane crew that that fights MMA. Shout out to all of them. Um, he's got a relationship with Gary Trent going back to Ohio, so that's a good fit. He just feels like a plug and play rookie that can go out there. Unlike like Malachi Flynn played great last year. Red Van Vliet did his thing. Came on late down the stretch, but wasn't a guy that you could necessarily roll out there for for 25 minutes confidently right out of the gate. And I think you could do that with Jalen Suggs. It gives you, can't believe I'm saying this, it gives you the opportunity if you want to move on from Kyle Lowry to move on from Kyle Lowry.
0: I I agree with you. I like the leadership that he brings there. I think he is definitely the floor general that would come in there. And I think he's just going to take charge, you know, not necessarily be like the best player or anything like that as a rookie, but I think he'll probably go in and, and people will respect him for what he brings to the table, the attitude, and the leadership qualities, that kind of thing. I really actually hope that the Raptors walk away with him. Obviously, like you said, they're going to get, you know, if they want to, they're going to get the fourth guy out of those top four that everybody really likes. Whoever's left there or they'll trade out. Or, I mean, there's everybody saying, you know, maybe Scotty Barnes. I hope that's not the case. I don't necessarily have anything against him, but if Suggs is there, I really want Suggs. He's actually the guy I would really root for. I think he could end up being like a potential. And I don't mean that they're the same player when I say this, but I see sort of like a Russell Westbrook kind of quality because Westbrook also slipped just a little bit in that top part of the lottery and he's, you know, is he the best player from that draft? Probably is.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's one of those things. I'm very happy that they're four and not five or six because I think once you get out of, out of four, it feels, and I know as you said, people are super high on Scotty Barnes and there's some other guys that, that people are really high on that make sense, but as a guy that I think that can come in right away and contribute and and fill that void that, look, if they don't move on from Kyle Lowry, he's not sticking around for multiple years. And so to get a lead guard that can come in and, and run the show, play well with Fred, showed well in college in those big moments in the tournament throughout the season, love a kid like that that can just come in and contribute right away.
0: Amen,
1: brother. And that does it for this episode of the Couchside Judges. Special thanks to Spencer Kite for joining us on this one. It was a great time.
0: Make sure you follow him on social media. Spencer, thank you very much for joining us.
2: Appreciate it, boys. Thanks for having me. Always a good time.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. We will be back on Monday. No midweek show this week. No end of the week show. So uh, take care, and we'll, we'll talk to you then. Have a great week. Thanks for listening.